I am speaking. I have been. I've never stopped. Welcome to The Writer and the Critic, a monthly podcast devoted mostly to books, reviews and whatever else takes our fancy. I am your host, Kirsten McDermott. With me is my co-host, Ian Mond. How are you, Ian? I'm great. (laughs) On this lovely sunny day, I will say, the first sunny day we've had for a week and we are inside recording a podcast. So, So Ballarat, as I understand it, is on my side of the Great Dividing Range. So the weather, yes. even though it's colder, colder. The, weather's, the weather is generally similar, unlike we're in Bendigo. When you go to Bendigo, you get to the other side of the Great Dividing they can, Range. They can be quite, yeah, Bendigo, Ballarat weather can be quite different. But it is, it, well, it is cold out there. It's 10 degrees out there. It is, it is cold, but it's sunny. And when I'm finished yes. recording this podcast, I'm... What are you going to do? We, we are going to a little local nearby town to Malden, which is the name of the town, and we like it a lot, and we are going to get cardamom knobs. You like Malden, do you? I do like Malden. And the bakery there does cardamom knobs, which I've never come across what another the bakery f- doing it. So now like a cinnamon f- scroll. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, It's yeah. kind of the same, but with yeah. cardamom, and instead of a scroll, they kind of knot it together and call it a knob, <laughs> which, which is funny for Australians. <laughs> I don't, think, I don't think they get the double entendre there. It, it just looks like a knot, not a Australian knob. And they're the most fantastic bread products I've ever eaten. So, See, I'm always uh, jealous of your beautiful photos. Those are taken off around Lake Wendouree and places like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It is beautiful. The, the Lake Wendouree is gorgeous. Is, the Lake is and gorgeous. Gardens down here is beautiful and we are just coming into swan season. And, in fact, we saw what may, may not be the first but certainly the first we've seen, the first batch of cygnets around the lake. Early cygnets, late August, but still. So we're coming into cygnet season, which is so exciting. <laughs> it's my favourite time of year. I mean, I live next to a race course, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you don't get cygnets. No. Well, we have, they have a little lake in the race course. Do you get ducks? There's ducks. There's, there yeah. you go. We might get ducklings. Yeah. You know the difference between <laughs> swans and ducks in terms of their, their nurturing habits? Oh, I've yeah, learned, I have learned so much about birds just living around the lake. So your swans will, will have usually six, five to seven. Seven is really, really rare and it's usually six. Mm-hmm. So they have a small amount of babies and mostly they protect them fiercely from everyone and everything and they manage to get 80 to 90% of them through to adulthood. Ducks will have like 20 babies <laughs> and they're like, what ifs? I mean, they're still very fiercely protective. It's adorable rather than scary. If you're getting chased by an angry parent swan, you run. If it's a duck, it's like, oh, aren't you cute with your hissing? Can you quickly turn your head? Turn your head, turn your head, turn your head. Around the other way, the other way, to the bookshelf. Yeah. No, like turn 360, go the, behind you, turn behind you. Now. Why, what? Your cat. Where? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about you ducks. Should have just, you should have just said your cat's on the bookshelf, and I would have just turned around. You didn't. Can you turn your head 360 degrees? <laughs> Which would have been turning back to me. Yeah, she she. That's what she does. She's parkour kitty. She um. Yeah. Anyway, so so yeah, the ducks will just like whatevs, dude. We've got surplus. It's so important we're talking about this. And then the coots, oh, my God, the coots. Uh, the coots. You don't even see the baby coots with the parent coots. You'll just see random baby coots just on their own streaking around the lake and it's like, well, go you. So they must have like a million babies because you don't see many baby coots, but we have – there are more coots than any other bird on the lake. So 
I don't know what they do with their They don't care. The eggs hatch and they're like, off you go. They're like the sea so, turtles of the bird world. So this is all great and actually relevant this to the book. This is the best introduction we've ever had, I'm just going to say. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but, but, but also relevant to Richard Flanagan's book because all these animals yeah. are dead in his book. Well, they know they're not. It's only yes, set it in 20, 2019 to 2020. No, well, is it though? Because yeah, it it's, it's the bush. It's the summer of 2019, 2020. It feels like time is elastic in the novel. I felt like time was a. It is a novel. definite reference to. Oh no! I know it reference. I know it reference the particular twi- summer. I know it reference the 2019 bushfires, and we probably yep. should start talking about the book. But I'm just saying, we should. time is elastic, and it feels like everything is dead by the end of it. But anyway, yeah, let's let's go. Let's let's get into it. Okay, before we get too in depth with the talk about the book, let's introduce what we're talking about today. So, two novels. Uh, the first one is The Living Sea of Waking Dreams by Australian author Richard Flanagan. And the second is The Saint of Bright Doors by Sri Lankan author Vajra Chandrasekhar. So we're going to talk about the Richard Flanagan first. So it is set in the summer of uh, what begins in the summer of 2019 to 20. And then it kind of proceeds along an alternate timeline because it definitely what happens in the book goes on for months and months, but we don't get the big COVID thing. So it's it's set in Sydney and uh, Tasmania and I forget where the other brother lives. And it doesn't. Well, well he lives mostly, a lot of he, his stuff happens overseas, but he, he flies That's back. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And you don't get the representation of COVID that we experienced. To be fair, the book came largely. out in 2020. I mean, it was published. Oh, I know, no, but that's what I'm saying. It goes into a, a, an alternate timeline. So it starts off with a very specific summer that actually happened and referenced, which was awful. And it, it's. I was thinking about it while I was reading this book a lot because it's so front and centre in this book that summer. And that summer feels like it's just been pushed off the page of history by COVID. You know, I have, I have very, very clear memories of the transition between that summer and the, you know, what was happening, you know, to people. And because um, I'm in, uh, I was in regional Victoria um, during, I'm, I'm still in regional Victoria um, during that summer. And I've, I've, and the job that I do, uh, I have quite direct interactions with the public. So I have very, 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 very clear memories of, of the 1920 bushfire season. And also very clear memories of that transition when we we stopped at work, started hearing these little murmurs about this this virus thing and people buy, trying to buy masks and stuff, and then whoosh, COVID, and w- there was nothing else. And unfortunately, the bush the bushfires seemed to recede in the public attention. Definitely not for the people who were affected, and I think those people probably feel a little left behind. So on the same, I. I- I had an involvement in as much as my job is mm. related around transport in the public service and any time the Australian Defence Force are activated, I often have to get involved because their vehicles right. are, v- are very heavy and we need yep. to manage that. So, uh, yeah, no, I remember it and I remember mm. the fact that we couldn't breathe. Yep, yep. <laughs> I re- uh, I've never experienced anything like that. I, and- I, I remember leaving work and I was working in the Melbourne CBD for a, a few weeks at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. And I remember leaving work one afternoon and I was, I must've been on a late call or something because I was, the office was mostly empty, but there was this little group of people as I was walking to the elevators clustered around a window and I sort of wandered over as you do. And they're all there like looking because you couldn't see skyscrapers in Melbourne more than two or three blocks yeah, away. Yeah, that's right. I had the it same was, experience. The smoke was just 
terrifying. Like Melbourne was not in danger. Melbourne was never in danger, Melbourne CBD, but it was absolutely terrifying. It was only endangered as much as you couldn't breathe. Uh, yeah, mean, but in terms of like, in but, terms but, but of there was fire no fire, damage. No, no, but, but it was the, yeah. fl- the fire was that intense. But the fires, that yeah, large. the fires were that massive that the smoke was coming over to and, Melbourne. And- I mean, look, it's very similar. Any anyone, if any of our American North American audience will, will be able to relate to this right now, Absolutely. because it, it, Absolutely. It is, when I saw the Canadian wildfires yep. and how the smoke was spreading into yep. United States, it, it, it's the same. It's it's exactly the same. And un- unfortunately, I think in in various regions of the world, including Australia, and um, Europe's going through the same thing. It's going to become more and more common. Um, that we're, we're, we're not looking forward to this summer. Actually, we've had a very dry winter here. Oh, it's going to be a nightmare but a very, very wet winter, the last couple of winters. So lots of fuel uh, and predicts to be quite a dry summer. So anyway. And, and against that background is this novel. That's what this book brought rushing back. And it was, like you mentioned before, Ian, it, it was, again, because we weren't directly affected. We're still not trying to rebuild homes after a bushfire at this point, which some people still are, and, and trying to wrangle through insurance and all of that stuff. And so we're not directly affected in that way. So it feels, you know, after COVID came through so long ago, and yet it's not. It's not that long ago. It's like it's less than four years at this point. I think, I think you've, you've, that's quite a profound thought about that COVID actually, in a sense, partly erased. It really the, did. Because I think we'd, the, the after effects of that fire would still be spoken about uh, more than it is. Um, so for people who don't know, like there was a lot of regional places in Victoria and New South Wales, the fires went all the way up the East Coast and, and the West Coast. Like it was just horrendous that summer. And there are a lot of small towns. They're in South Australia just, as well. Yeah, we, uh, absolutely. Yeah. That, that, that were just like not raised to the ground but so severely affected. And there was a like a hashtag campaign that came out towards the end of that summer which was, um, you know, hashtag bring your eskies. And an esky for, for international listeners is like a, it's a cool box, right? You you call them coolers. It's that insulator box you put all your stuff into to go on a picnic or something. Um, and the idea was people were saying, like, let us, you know, let us rebuild a bit. Let us get our feet back under us. Um, and then – bring your eskies and everyone do a tour of regional Victoria and buy shit, buy stuff from the shops. Don't, you know, don't pack food, bring and buy food there, buy stuff from our shops. And, and Jason, I was like, yeah, like, cause we, we like a road trip anyway. So, you know, the smallest encouragement was like, yeah, that's a really good idea. We should absolutely plan a like two or three day kind of little road tour of regional Victoria and that'll be awesome. And then of course, COVID. So hashtag bring your eskies never happened <laughs> for anyone. Yeah. And that's like, and and I think this is what. Look, I don't know how you felt, but this was the most visceral reading experience I've had in a long time. Because it, it really, really every, was every memory back, and yeah, uh, and yes, I know it's got magic realism, and but but everything to do with the mother, and, and we'll get into the plot in a second. But Francie, the mother, uh, oh my god, it just the way because I know it's a, a, a not a nuanced symbol for the fires and for the devastation of the planet, but oh, it just. It just got to me. It, Let it really- us. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna read um, the actual flap copy here because, listeners, I have, as you may remember, I mentioned last episode, I have an actual physical hard copy book that I bought in secondhand book store of this novel. So I will read the flap copy, not from Goodreads for once. Huzzah! In a world of perennial fire and growing extinctions, Anna's aged mother is dying. If her three children would just allow it. Condemned by their pity to living, she increasingly escapes through her hospital window into visions of horror and delight. 
When Anna's finger vanishes and a few months later her knee disappears, Anna too feels the pull of the window. She begins to see that all around her others are similarly vanishing, yet no one else notices. All Anna can do is keep her mother alive, but the window keeps opening wider, taking Anna and the reader ever deeper into a strangely beautiful story about hope and love and orange-bellied parrots. I've not read that before today, and that's that's not, readers, that's not the book. Did Richard Flanagan write that blurb, you think? I don't know, but the emphasis on the window is... What's with the window? Well, you know how she kind of sees those figures at the window, Francie, Um, but also the book is not... There's so little, like that feels like a lot of this book is going to be Francis' point of view, and it is, it is no, nice. but also, but also, it's what's well, Anna's, but 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 also the, the the way you were reading it, and you did a terrific job. Uh, <laughs> it makes out that Francis constantly jumping out a window, running away from the hospital, like Benny Hill style. Oh, okay. No, I, I think you can read that as like the magic realism that it kind of is, but also that's that is so way down the list of things the book actually emphasizes. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> It's. I'm. I'm going to say because that that flap copy was really quite warm and inviting and and feel good. This is not a feel good book, people. No, this is a traumatizing novel. This is. (laughs) Go into this with a strong cup of tea. Yeah, you'll need a thick skin for this one. Uh, I mean, it's almost a trap. That is almost a trap. That copy. (laughs) Now, because because I was doing this on 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 X, I don't call it Twitter anymore. By the way, I call it X because Twitter. I think we should keep calling it Twitter because it pisses off Elon Musk. Uh, Whatever. That thing, Elon's world, I I made the same mistake, the same subtle mistake that the blurb does, which is that the three kids are trying to keep uh, Francie alive. So that's Terzo, Tommy and Anna. But that's not true. Tommy does not want to keep his mum. Tommy doesn't know. Tommy from the beginning is saying we should. Just let her die. We should say she's, um, she should be, she should be entering uh, palliative care. Yes. She's stage, in the late stage 80s of as well. Her life, right? She is. She has cancer. She has a whole, and then a whole bunch of complications that come from medical interventions to keep her alive. And her uh, Tommy is the older of the two boys who are left alive. There is another son who was the oldest who has committed suicide many decades ago when he was a teenager. Yes. Uh, so the the three remaining children, Tommy is in the the oldest. Of the of the two boys, but he is the 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 kid who stayed at home in Tasmania. Uh, he's been caring for his his mother at her home for the last more well, several years at least. Whereas Anna and Terzo have gone to the mainland and pursued different uh, highly successful careers. And as an architect, Terzo is I'm not entirely sure what Terzo is. Some kind of oh, Terzo is a joint venture type. Exactly. One of those vague money people who make money from nothing and then think they're so good about it. Oh, that was judgy. Well, he's a, but he is a, he is your, your traditional bro, dude. Uh, he is, yeah. So they've gone off and done things, and and Tommy's been left uh, behind, but by choice. He's an artist, which means he's broke. Hello to all the struggling artists and writers, and at this point, struggling almost feels like a, like a tautology for artists and writers. But anyway, and so that he's looked down upon by the other two siblings who think he's a you know a failed person because he hasn't had a successful career, he has no money, uh, but he's the child. Possibly because he's been remaining with his mother, her, her, you know, their, their lives, and he has been caring for her. Who is the one who says we we shouldn't be trying every last little thing to keep her scare quotes alive? And even her her doctors and the medical staff uh, are saying we 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 you know at some point 
her kidneys fail. So there's conversation about dialysis and the doctor saying she, in her situation, for her age, for her body condition and the comp, it's not going to, we're, we're not going to put her on dialysis. We're not going to do that. And the two siblings intervene with people they know in high places for the Minister of Health to intervene and go, no, this woman goes on dialysis. You know, the money and, and relative power that the, the older siblings have, they, they use to keep their mother not dead. That's basically it. Because <laughs> you can't really call it living. It's not. No, it's absolutely not. And, 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 and Tommy and, and gets Flanagan, bullied by them. Their, their relationship yeah. is very much the, the bullied sibling. It, it just becomes more grotesque and, and, and Flanagan plays into it. It almost skitters into fast territory. It, I, I did. I, it, it, it's, it's darkly comedic in a way that I found really disturbing. Because Cause, the, the writing is... Um, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the woman, uh, the female, the woman character in Brazil, the film, the Terry Gilliam film. Who's oh, my doing God. Always... You know, I, I thought of Brazil when I was reading this. Yeah. It, well, actually, I thought whole... of Brazil when I was reading both these novels. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> That's so yeah, funny. Good on, what, a, what a film. But, the, you know, the woman who's constantly getting... Uh, that um, uh, surgery done on her to make her look younger and beautiful and whatever. Except, except she's voluntarily doing that. Yes. And, and yeah. Francie is not. Francie <laughs> not. is Francie for a was... lot of the time not conscious and not able to make and, decisions. And when she and, and what about that shocking moment when that shocking moment when she puts "Let me go"? Or, yeah, just when on she the right when order. she does voice her what what she wants, what her intentions would be for herself, which is to not have these interventions, which is to let her just die. The, the older children completely ignore those, those wishes and that's, that's really distressing. And sidebar, um, this is why it's really important to have an end-of-life plan, people, and to have your wishes written down legally so that if this is not a situation you wish to be in, you don't have to be in it. Anyway, sidebar, very important sidebar. One thing to be clear, they're not doing it, Anna and Terzo, for religious reasons. This is no, a, this it's, is not, the, it's this is really purely... complicated reasons. Yes, it's and a lot of it's to do with the past. It's to do with what happened to their yeah. eldest sibling, Ronnie, who, who took his own life. Uh, and it's and and part of it is to do with their own privilege, their own power, their ability to wield that power and to feel feel some sort of delight in doing so. Um, yeah, it, it's it is it really is complex. And, and and to be fair to both of them, even Tozo, who is not a wonderful human being, which is why what happens to him is. A bit of a surprise, and I'm not sure if quite fits in with the. It heaps on the melodrama, Terzo's um, oh, but it does, accident it does. slash suicide. I think we. I think the book is making a very clear case for him to have actually ridden his bicycle into into the path of a truck. It was. It was a B double. A B double. <laughs> Something for everyone. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know. I got very excited. It's I like, said, Whoa, Whoa, I know this track. I know what that is. But no one, no one, no one can miss a B double. It's twenty six meters long. You can't exactly. miss it. So yeah, it's, he he took his own life. Yeah, and I, I think to be fair though to both Anna and Terzo, at at the beginning, I think their insistence on medical interventions come from a genuine place of well, she's our mother. We can't let her die. We have to do everything we can to keep you know, to, to try to keep her alive. And I think especially Terzo for quite some time, and it's, it's difficult because we don't get the interiority of any character really except Anna. We get we get um, Tommy very briefly at the beginning. Very, then, uh, very briefly. But, it, but, but yeah. It, it, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really trust a lot of the interiority that we get from other characters because they're, it's narrated. Yeah. 
Whereas Anna, even though it's all narrated, and that, oh, that's what I was starting to say. Like the narrate the narration in this book, the style is very. Even though you, it's it's mainly set set within a you know the, the the an indirect point of view of Anna, it's very much a um, a distancing uh, narration. Anna is being talked about and uh, not talked through, but it's mainly mainly her point of view and her perspectives that come through. So we don't get a lot from Terzo, but I think even with Terzo, I think there's a genuine belief slash denial that his mother is actually going to get better for quite some time. And then at some point this campaign and this effort to keep Francie not dead switches from what has to be any reasonable person's understanding of her condition and what could possibly eventuate from her condition to just now being this militant stubbornness that, no, no, we're not going to let her die. We can keep this person alive and at some point it it definitely goes into cruelty like it's just it's a it's very distressing end of life stuff and look it's a clear it's symbolic of the way we're treating the planet that's that's it's and not this is my objection to the book and yes and you and i know it's it's most people's objections to the book this is not a book that is loved by that many i love it by the way this is this is my, this I, is love, my... I think the writing itself is beautiful the novel for me fails um, and it, it fails in two ways. You, you've got the, the problem of preaching to the converted because let's face it, the readers of Richard Flanagan are going, he has a very public persona, Richard Flanagan does, um, and it, it's, a, it's a persona I absolutely admire. You know, the way he, he we know him pub, as a public figure because we can never know a public figure prize. In, in Australia, I mean, I don't know how public. I mean, he won the Booker. He did but win the I Booker. I think he's got some international recognition at this <laughs> okay, point. Um, you know, he is extremely militant, pro climate change action, uh, left wing. He's from Tasmania, like so. The environment is incredibly important to him, um, and the environmental change in Tasmania is dark. And this is this is the persona he he publicly presents. So he does a lot of speaking about climate change and a lot of speaking um, about what we're doing to the planet and and what we should be doing instead. And this this is the book. And I think the readers of Richard Flanagan, you, you, there is there is a sense of preaching to the converted. And when you preach to the converted, unless you're presenting a very clear call to action, it can just become empty yes I was I was angry when the book was angry I was sad when the book was sad I was all of those things anyway so for for me as a reader I would I don't think I was getting the the magnitude of what the book was trying to get across because I I get it and I'm also angry at myself because I'm not doing enough I'm sitting here with the gas heating my house you know I'm I'm wearing plastic and whatever else you having the occasional you know coffee cup which isn't a keep cup because I forgot to bring it, but I'll have a coffee anyway. You know, I'm doing all this stuff. So I don't know that the book, that part of the book spoke to me. But more importantly, if as so I – This is point two. This is point two. If as I feel it is, that, and, and many reviewers that I've kind of read in the past couple of days also seem to say that, you know, Francie and what's happening to Francie is a metaphor or, or some kind of symbolism for the, the planet – for a dying planet, the whole thesis of the book around Francie is let her die. Is that really what Richard Flanagan is wanting us to think about the planet? Let's just let it die. It's beyond saving. 
any interventions are just cruel. Let's just let it die, Ian. Let's just let it die. That's that's the kind thing. That's the humane thing. Let the planet die. And that metaphor all the way through was so jarring to me because unless I'm wrong about and if I'm wrong about Francie being a metaphor for a dying planet, then I don't know what these two themes of the book are belonging in the same book. But I don't think I'm wrong. And then the the end result of that is so pessimistic. And I don't think from what I know of Richard Flanagan's public writing, not his fiction, but his public essays and, and, and so on, I don't think that's what he thinks. I don't think he thinks we should just let the planet die and give up and that's it and, and just palliative care it through to the end of its existence or our existence really more to the point we're not going to kill the planet we're just going to kill it for us and many many life forms on it I don't think that's what he's saying and so it was so jarring to me so I read it differently go ahead so I read it that um because Francie doesn't start healthy she starts the novel already in poor condition um so I felt that the novel was saying or Flanagan was saying that there comes a point of no return, which mm. all climate scientists are saying we're not, we're not that far off, where the mitigations become pointless because you'll still hear people talk about mitig- possible mitigations, seeding clouds and all this sort of bullshit, none of which is, you know, I'm, <laughs> it might work in a million, you know, one in a million. So the mitigations become pointless and, yes, it becomes a case of, it dies. The planet dies, just like Francie. But 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 we will we will, for, due to capitalism being bad in <laughs> this, keep it alive for as long as we can and get and suck as much out of it as we can until it, it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, and then and then yes, it will die. That that's yeah. the, he's he's not arguing that Francie's death, which is a sweet relief, because by the time she does die at the at the very end, it isn't that anymore. It, 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 it because she's a husk. Yeah. So. She doesn't have the, the mind to even no, understand. You know, she's not a person in any meaningful sense. Correct. Of so, so to me, that's what it's saying. I, I, I don't think it's Flanagan saying. Uh, look, and, and I hear what you're saying. Absolutely, mm. I think we're just going to differ on this. But yeah, I, I don't think it's saying that. Uh, oh no, the, the ultimate uh, end is that we, we, we're fucked. We just let the planet die. It's that we're no, no. This is about us meet, meeting a point of no return. When and when we get to that point, the mitigations won't work, and the only option will be to let it die, to let us. That the planet dies. Yeah, and so it's, I, caution, I can, it's it's cautionary in that sense. I can see that, but um, yeah, I just I feel like it's such a. I mean, one of the um, reviews I read, and I can't remember which one it was, um, was talking about how how the book had a, a very optimistic ending. It's like I don't think it does. Oh no, it doesn't. No, I don't no. think there's no, any. No, there's no, no optimism no, in no, this book. No, no, no. This is this is an angry yeah. look. Regardless of what uh, Flanagan does. Uh, you know, when he talks, this book, and, and it was written at a very, very, you know, dark time in, yeah. in, in the history of Australia and the planet, but specifically Australia, this book is saying well, we are fucked if we don't act, but, the, but, but, this, is what, but this, is the, this is the end game if we don't act. This is what it's going to look like. This is, this is how it looks. The, 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 the constant descriptions of animals just, just dying. Yeah. It just is, and, is yeah. and that's what I mean. Like it feels like what is yeah. You know, I don't. I don't see any kind of a, a foil there. I don't see a. Diff- I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I, I think like your reading, I think, is admirable. <laughs> For me, yes. that would be a stretch because I don't see any spark of we're not here yet. Because all of the environmental stuff are like we're here. 
we're here. Well, 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 but let's be clear. The doctors walk in and say, there's only so much you can do, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And th- so, so again, we're not listening to the scientists. We're not listening to the doctors. We're not listening to the people who are telling us what we need to do. We're just keeping this thing going for as long as we can extend it out and using our influence to do that, that being the mining companies and others who, yeah. Look, that's, look and, and to me that, that may, look, it, 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 it was important. I mean, we've got to be clear another thing. This book I didn't know existed <laughs> until right. you picked it. So I loved his last, the, the Booker winning novel, which I've, uh, The Narrow Road to the Deep North, loves it, loves the title. Uh, I love the the narrow road to the deep north. Um, I actually didn't read first person either, which is bad on me. But I had no idea that this book existed either. And 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 I get the feeling, uh, generally people weren't aware because of COVID. Any book published in twenty twenty had uh, a <laughs> a snowflake's chance in a bushfire. So 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 this scream into the abyss, which this book is to me, a scream in the abyss, went unheard because we had other things to worry about, it's which is what poetic. you said is very. Thank you. Uh, it, a, it is a literal as well as a metaphorical screaming to an abyss. Yes, yes, <laughs> and, and 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 that's that's the that's the tragedy of the novel, to me. Yeah, but but you but I hear your still point is that even if it had if let's forget COVID, it gets read, people go well, all right, and yeah, well, but that's not the way I took. There is a, there is a and I, you know, you read as much as I do around climate uh, science mm. and all the discussions that are happening at the moment. And there is this view that, that for example, the um, the reports coming out of the UN shouldn't be published because they're so depressing. Mm. Okay, and because they don't, they're called to action. There really isn't a call to action. It just says, well, we're basically, we've reached the tipping point, and and, and it's and it's just going to get worse. So so where's the positivity? And and for me, that's what the Flanagan is doing. It's not trying to be. It's not trying to have a foil. It's not trying to be positive. It's saying, people, hello, this is the future that we've created for ourselves. Again, I think it comes back to I think the readers of Richard Flanagan are like, yep, got it. I know, but, but what else can you do? I mean, this is a broader thing about any of the novels uh, we read that are all echo chamber. We, we, we're, this is an echo chamber and it's only gotten worse and it ain't going to get better. And, and, and unless it's a country singer... Putting, it, putting coded messages in their tunes, the right wing are never going to listen to it. So <laughs> that, that, that'll date. Uh, you know, that'll but, date. Um, but, but, you know, it, it, yeah, okay, it's only coming, it's a message mm. that's only coming to us that will never, yeah, propagate beyond yeah. us, which is a, tra- yeah, I know, that's part of the tragedy. That's I mean, we haven't, mentioned, we haven't mentioned the other element, which is the magic realism element, which is the vanishing body parts. And I'm going to say that's the thing you which like failed for me because it's not, consistent that i will say reading that that beginning of that blurb where it mentioned that that's when i stopped reading the blurb in the store and went i'm buying this book people's fingers are vanishing (laughs) that like that's really interesting and you can think about that in all sorts of ways of the theme of the book and things that are vanishing and disappearing and won't come back and he richard flanagan has very explicit prose discussing that but it's not consistent. So her finger disappears, and then I think it's her breast. And okay, those. No, it's a, it's a knee. It's a, a knee. knee. It's a knee. a second. Correct. So yes. appendages which disappear, and they seem to disappear. They're gone. Yes, right? they're gone. They can't yes. be felt. They can't be used. Correct. They're just an emptiness that was there. What the fuck is with the knee, Ian? Because the knee some sometimes turns into like there's no like knee joint but the leg still bends it's still functional so here's there's this no, great description no of it bending like a sausage yeah or like a, 
Barbie knee or something. Yeah. Um, what the hell? Like it, yeah. it makes no – there's no internal consistency there. And also the other thing is it makes no – Difference, like there's there's nothing that actually seems to affect no, any but that, of the people. But, 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 that but first off, first off, that's magic realism. Possibly I know. Why magic, why magic realism really shits some people off because it doesn't necessarily make internal consistent sense. What do you mean? Then these guys? Oh, gone? I think magic. No, no. I I think good magic realism does make internal sense. That's the key to it. Oh, it's like anything well. else. It needs to have. It doesn't need to make sense in in our world, but it. it it has internal consistency. Even if we don't, if we couldn't sit down and explain the mechanics, I'm not asking for the mechanics to be explained. God, no. But we need to be able to go, oh, yeah, I, y- yep, that's consistent. And the knee was what really threw me. Like if she suddenly couldn't bend her leg at all, if there was even a, like if there was a gap, a non-space between her thigh and her shin that somehow she had this disembodied lower leg that was still following her around, okay. But the fact that it, it, it doesn't disappear. It is replaced, and that's the problem because none of her other missing limbs are replaced. They're just gone. But the knee is replaced by Barbie sausage. <laughs> See, and it just th- it threw okay. me as a reader because it suddenly it didn't, th- it didn't throw me at all because I love this shit. Okay, and that's the the eruption of the surreal. I love that sort of stuff, mm. and 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 I just went with it, and without stating the obvious. The point is that no one notices. Yeah, yeah. So- the point is no one notices, and we can live our life anyway. Which, which you know what, isn't actually true. No, no, That's it's, the thing. it's a it's a fact that it's the fact that no one does notice a lot of the time. Yeah. Okay, and but so, that's also not true, is it? Like she goes to doctors who don't know. Well, no. Doctors. So this is this is the thing that bugged me. No, no, no. She doesn't go to doc- she doesn't go to doctors. This is the thing that bugged me. This is the one thing that bugged me. The Flanagan goes to at these huge lengths. See, if you're gonna if you're gonna do this thing, commit to it. All right. Exactly. He doesn't uh, commit. He doesn't 100 percent commit. I, don't that think I will, he's I will even grant you that. Exactly what is what. So, so he what goes to huge lengths to find excuses for Anna not to actually go to the doctors, yep. despite the fact that she's going to a hospital every five minutes. Yeah. So and and anyone any doctor just walking past would say, "Hey, wait." So you know, within the hospital environment. So so so. So, so I, I will take you on that, okay? I take you on that. If you're going to do this, do it 100%. Go full ball. He doesn't. But I still loved it. And I'm- <laughs> Fair enough. Like the effect of some of it, like her, her, her estranged son who's estranged but still living with her. <laughs> um, yeah, Ga- Gus, who's, who's playing a game. And basically uh, that is one of the great images of the book when she goes into his room. And, and it's actually, it really upset me because where I'm sitting right now, this is Josh's gaming chair, and he's often in his room doing exactly what Gus is doing, playing on the computer yeah. or playing games, yeah? And so this really hit me hard where she goes into the room and all that's left is, I think, a thumb on the joystick. Playing the joystick, yeah. yeah but before then, that. like parts of his oh, yeah, yeah. face vanish and, you yeah, know. Yeah, correct. And and it's – look, as I said on, on, on the thing that Elon runs um, – <laughs> Badly. <laughs> badly. Um, <laughs> This, this is my sweet spot, this book. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it hits all my notes. And I know that it's, it's Marmite for others, but for me it just, it just hits. <laughs> because, 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 well, because the thing, the, well, yeah, okay. But the thing that the other thing is the prose is just what brings it all together for me. That uh, 
and I'm going to say Fork, Faulknerian style because I've read Faulkner, so I'm allowed to say it now. Okay. I'm not like one of those posers who says it and has never fucking read Faulkner, all right? So I've read it. And, yes, there is a lot of that, and that not use of commas and that sort of run-on sentence yeah. stuff. And the early pages, which are deliberately um, not cryptic, but but, but don't, that are giving you no opportunity to get into the book, short and sharp and then when it, when it is long, it's just this this huge stodge of text, but mm. it's it's oh, it's good, it's good stuff. Oh, the, the writing itself is is absolutely beautiful, but I think for for me, the substance of the book just it just didn't it didn't work, and I really wanted to love this book, and the I mean, one of the things that I was all, always chafing against is there's just these little, and sometimes not so little, critiques of. I think, I mean, social media is all through the book for us. Like Anna is constantly on her phone. She's using it as yes, a there's, there's actually a lot of jokes about method, Instagram. You know, and there's there's just such this sharp edge of judgment that goes through the book. And I don't, I think it's a very simplistic way of looking at how uh, we like the media we create, the way we interact with each other that misses the point that I can go and watch a trashy movie and I can still have deep, complex interactions that are meaningful to the world. And the same people will do those same things. And I felt like some of the judginess about, oh, this is like there's a passage that I actually marked because I thought, I'm going to read it. So, so, so this is Davy, who is uh, Tommy. It's Tommy's son. Tommy's son. So the nephew of Anna, and he, Davy, comes to the hospital to sit with Francie quite a bit and and talk with her when she's cogent. So he he has a conversation with Anna about um, he's talking about Netflix and what he's watching on Netflix, which are described as like bedtime fairy tales for adults. Davy's been watching different Netflix shows than I have. but lately he had begun to notice something. They all seemed to operate at the level of a puzzle or a game. Some of the newer series even followed the blueprint of games. Everything was a beautiful pattern which, once discovered, could be enjoyed and appreciated. He got that. Yo-yos did similar amusing things. He said he found himself watching the way plot points were neatly tied up and all that, your expectations sort of deliberately dashed or cunningly subverted. The story seemed to be as calculated as algorithms rushing you to a conclusion that could also equally be the beginning of a future return click. Sure, he got that there were things that were just entertainment, maybe most things, and that's fine, Davy supposed. Only, if it didn't mean anything, it wasn't great for him. He was soon to be a father and he needed something more. He was mad, maybe, but still, he needed something more. Maybe being mad, he needed it even more. Because he needed to know what he knew when he was laughing, when he was crying, when the wind blew through the windows, when the maggots ate through his brain. Shouldn't stories work towards something that we can't get anywhere else, he said. It wouldn't be enough, sure, but maybe it would be something. And it's meditations like that, and there's meditations about social media and about other things all the way through the book, and it's it's so close to old men shaking their fists at clouds and get off my lawn. It can't, it's beautifully written, but it's just so close to this really dismissiveness. And I, I think if there's a demographic who is actually going to work to save what we can of the ecosystems on this planet, it is the younger demographics who, you know what, if they want to 
check out their brain for a couple hours on Netflix and social media because it's a lot. The world is a lot right now. Good on them. It doesn't mean that that's everything and that's their everything. And it doesn't mean that there isn't media on Netflix, in the cinema, in books, in computer games, for goodness sake, which takes a huge blow in this book as a meaningless, vacuous, literally self-destroying media. That isn't doing exactly what Richard Flanagan wants things to be doing. That isn't meaningful. That's stories that don't say something. And it, it's kind of like I read that and I put a little sticky note on it. It's like, Richard, do you think you're the only one who can <laughs> who can write stories with meaning? Because I don't think that's true. <laughs> I, I think, I think, I think, yeah, you that, that you're spot on. And there is the it is the it is the the person, and I'm, I'm thinking someone. There's so I'm thinking of a few people in particular. Where you go, so Carlton Football Club making making their first final series next week, and I can't wait to go. And that person will go, yeah, but the world's burning. You go, yeah, yes. Sure. But I can actually know those two things. You know? I can so know I can... those two things. And also I can't spend 24-7 yeah. thinking about the world burning and or doing things to help try to stop the world burning. I can't do that. I will burn out in a week. Correct. I have burned out so many times in the last three years. Sometimes I need to go and watch Barbie. Yeah, it's this view. It's this view. And, and you, you're right. This Yeah, Flanagan Falls foul at this. I, 100%. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way. But, yeah, you, you are right because the Insta stuff, the stuff about Instagram is very judgy uh, and, in, and, and, and inaccurate as well. Um, I mean, my, my, my beautiful wife, is, you know, has – X thousands of followers. But the planet's was, burning, Ian, and all she does is twirl around in dresses. Correct, exactly. And, that, and that's what it was judging, you know, how could you, all this pablum out there, and that's all we want to eat, and we don't want to uh, worry about the fact that koalas are dying. Yeah. And, and, and look, I, and I'm sure, I am sure that there are human beings in the world who don't think about this stuff at all and just consume, whether that is consuming physical resources correct. or social media or entertainment, and don't think about anything, and that, and they, but I, that's a that those numbers are probably less, and Instagram is a platform, and Instagram can be used and is being used for activism and TikTok. for spreading. I watch TikTok all the time because of the the activism that it generates. You can't dismiss a medium or Correct. a platform Correct. or a, or a type no, of expression because you don't understand it or well, like it. Well, now that you've said that, I now hate this book. <laughs> no, it's still I still love it, but but that is right. There is a. a boomerish equality to it around. Polemics like this in fiction irritate me because I feel like fiction should be doing something better. Fiction should be doing something better than just a polemic. Yeah, and it has to be. It should be inclusive, especially on this issue. Yeah. Because you are because fundamentally you are right because uh, you always are and I'm often <laughs> off on the side in that this is an echo chamber book so if you get, and then if you're just going to piss off the people who are already in your echo chamber, say, "Hey, those <laughs> things you like are shit," and why aren't you taking more care of the planet? And, and instead of going to the Carlton, you know, Carlton's first final, where there'll be ninety three thousand people consuming stuff that's probably destroying, you know, carbon footprints up the wazoo. Yeah. You, you, well, fuck you, frankly, Richard Flanagan and others. Fuck you. <laughs> Let the planet burn. I'd rather watch Carlton. You're not helping anyone. And, he, and here's book. a way to think of because. I agree with him on so many levels. At some point, and so let's take your Carlton football game. Yeah. Some of those people who go to that game are going to be so energised and they will uplift their week and that will empower them to go back to their actual jobs on Monday and do things that may be helping the planet. 
Whereas if they sat at home in their cold houses on the weekend and did nothing, how are they going to be motivated in their life as humans? Well, well Flanagan will say, you take those 93,000 and put them in front of Spring Street or something and, and protest constantly. Sure. But that's also assuming that those none of those 93,000 do that anyway on another weekend when Carlton isn't playing. <laughs> Like, this is what I mean. It's this idea yeah. that we take one thing it's, and go, oh, that yeah, is everything. It's binary. That it's binary. It's, it's zero-sum game. It's all that yeah. stuff. And it's it's the thing we hate of the other side, that they play those sorts of games, and yet we do it ourselves. We can't do it ourselves. Yeah. One of the, 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 the fundamental problems of the left and of the you know, progressives and all of that, our fundam- and I do it too, our fundamental problem that we have to somehow, somehow get over is we require perfection. From ourselves and others. Yes, that's right. Right? And if you're not perfect, well, fuck you. Yeah. And we can't do that. We we can't afford that luxury anymore. We probably yeah. never could afford it. We definitely can't afford it now. We need to take allies where they come regardless of, of some of their imperfections. Not all of them. We're not taking Nazis on board, but also Nazis don't want to join us. So, <laughs> yeah, a lot of those a lot of those really big deal breaker things take care of themselves because those people don't want to be us. <laughs> But we need to accept allies where we where we can and where we can take them and we need to accept imperfections in ourselves and others and we need to not decide just because I bought a coffee in a disposable cup, well, fuck it. It's all, well, I can't be bothered anymore. Yeah, that exactly. Again, zero-sum game thinking. That was beautiful thought and I think we should we leave shall it move there. on. <laughs> you... you- I heavily recommend this book. You maybe not so much, but I look. It's a short book. Like it's not. Yes. It's not the Long Road to the Deep North, which is which I haven't read, but which is huge. And that may be why I haven't read it because oh, it's very imposing. Uh, it's terrific, though. And this is what it is. It's a polemic. If you can live with the polemic, it's beautifully written. And what we didn't really spend a lot of time talking about was the relationships between the characters are really complex and well drawn. Um, and it's an it's an easy book to read in that way because it is very engaging in terms of the characters and and how they're working. Yeah. Um, so yes, unfortunately, we didn't get into some of the <laughs> things I really did like about this. because 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 Kirsten, you went off on a rant. But no, I went the, off the, on a rant. The the, the 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 sibling relationship is the familial relationships. The, the that they're all that's all yeah. terrific and stuff. complex. And he doesn't. And, yeah. and we did kind of touch on this. He doesn't demonize any of the siblings for what they're doing. No, absolutely not. Okay. Come on, All let's right. do this. Move on. The next book, uh, the Saint of Bright Doors. So it's, well, I chose it. So I'll, I'll do. I'll do. Yeah. So it's, it's the Saint of Bright Doors by Vardra Chandrasekhar. Um, so the, oh, I'm just going to go straight to the blurb. Is that okay? Go for it. All right. The Saint of Bright Doors sets the high drama of divine revolutionaries and transcendent cults against the mundane struggles of modern life, resulting in a novel that is revelatory and resonant. Fetter was raised to kill, honed as a knife to cut down his sainted father. This gave him plenty to talk about in therapy. He walked among invisible devils and anti-gods that mock the mortal form. He learned a lethal catechism, lost his shadow, and gained a habit for secrecy. After a blood-soaked childhood, Fetter escaped his rural hometown for the big city and fell into a broader world where divine destinies are a dime a dozen. Everything in Luriat is more than it seems. Group therapy is recruitment for a revolutionary cadre, Junk emails hint at the arrival of a god. Every door is laden with potential and once closed may never open again. The city is scattered with bright doors, looming portals through uh, which a cold wind blows. In this unknowable metropolis, Feta will discover what kind of man he is and his discovery will rewrite the world. That's a really good, that's a good one. I like that one. (laughs) 
It probably gives <laughs> a little bit too much away, but overall, uh, that's, I reckon it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's yeah. We no, are going to give a lot more than that away, read listeners. So. Yeah, thank you. Yes. <laughs> what did you think of the book? I thought it was great. Uh, I don't know how he did this actually, because you know, there's this thing about debut novelists throwing everything but the kitchen sink in a book. Yes. He sort of has done that here, but he, but it all I think works. Mm. I, actually, I don't. Un- this is why I can't write because I don't know how to do world building, and this is a masterclass in world building for me. I don't know about you, but that's how I found it because it all seemed to stitch together, even though yeah. It I, I'll point out that this is a debut novel, but he is a very seasoned writer, and he's he's published a lot of short fiction over the years. Yeah, I get that. Uh, he gets, but still, you've got to put it together as a novel. And, yeah, you know. Those, those, those season short story writers often cheat and do like linked novellas and say, that's my first novel. Cheats. <laughs> cheats. Do a narrative, a consistent, full narrative, not these these mosaic things. Cheat. No, I'm kidding. They're all wonderful people. Some Don't of my best you come for the mosaics, Ian. No, no, I won't. I won't. I wouldn't <laughs> but, but, but it is. It's different because this is not a short book either. It's long. Um, it is so long. Wow. Well, it is so it's long. That, it's not that long. It I mean, felt long. First of all, I'm going to say I loved this book. Loved it but I didn't love it when I started reading it. <laughs> and I had a okay. really – and I don't know because the, the, the way I read it, my reading pattern for this book is um, the first half of it um, took me about two weeks. and I was just very busy and I was just getting in time when I could before bed and so really only reading like maybe 5% at a time. Yep. And it, it and I don't know whether <laughs> that contributed to what I I do generally feel it, it's a bit sluggish for me in the first half. It took a little while to get its legs under itself, and then the second half I I read in two days because I actually had time and I sat down and read it in like three or four big chunks of time. Um, but also for, for me, the second half did seem to be quite a lot more engaging. And once he had uh, laid out, I guess, once he'd, he'd done his setup, which <laughs> took a while because it's a very complex world, um, the second half of it really, it just, it was so absorbing. It, it wasn't just the the switch that happened because that was quite a way into the second half of the book, but um, that became really, really intriguing. And I love that what I first marked up as like, oh, I think that's a point of view slip. <laughs> In retrospect, absolutely not. Um it is really a remarkable book in, to, to look back on with your knowledge of, of what the actual narrative is and who's telling it because it begins um, as kind of just in terms of the, the point of view and style, it begins as you know, your fairly straightforward third-person direct, right? It's all told from Feta's point of view, but it's third-person, but it is all, it is it is him. We're not, you know, there's no omniscience there. There's no, and that's, what it is and you get very used to this narrative and it's beautifully written I, I love the narrative voice in this book and I loved in the blurb like it brings some of that humor because there's a lot of humor in this book like it's it's really really cool a lot of darkness but a lot of humor and then at at the point where and I, w- I will really it would need a second reading for me to be 100% sure but I'm fairly certain the changes to the narrative point of view happen after Feta's mother dies. So I think her death releases in or begins to release 
the actual narrator of this novel. Yeah, I mean, it becomes it becomes explicit in the last three chapters, but yeah, but these little slips where yeah something and I've I've marked a couple of them up as I said when I thought they were just mistakes because it will be something like um, well it'll be a a a a view into the future like this will be the last time Feta saw this person and you go mm, hang on that's not gonna because the book is told in present tense as well yes. so it's like how do you like oh that's yeah. a mistake damn um, and there there's and then there's a couple other little things where it's like there's a point of view that he doesn't see so Feta didn't notice this thing it's like oh that you can't oh no oh but then once it's revealed about what this book actually is, you go, holy shit, that was so clever. And it's testament to the strength of the writing here that what I originally thought were like minor slip-ups, it's like, oh, well, it's so good I'm going to keep reading anyway. Yeah, because I trust. And also I think part of me was like this might be going somewhere because the writing is so it's at such a high level and this is clearly a writer who knows their shit and knows what they're doing. They're not a they're not a debut novice floundering around in, you know, everything including the kitchen sink. They know what they're doing. So even though I did genuinely think, oh, that might be a slip up, I think part of my reading brain was also like, but maybe it's I'm, I, maybe it's going somewhere. Yeah, so I, I I thought it was I thought it was a genuine I didn't know I actually what? What do you mean he, he never well how would fit it how is Federer his way? So, so because my brain said, "Wait, is Federer recounting this from the future?" <laughs> but in third per, what's going on here? Yeah, so the, it, it, it took me out of the street. It is a bold move because it's because, really bold. And look, I have seen it done before. This is why it reminded me, very, and very differently done, but mm. similar uh, in uh, William Gold. If you've read The Inheritors by William Golding, I have not read that. No, uh, which is a difficult novel because it's written in it's the one it's the caveman book he wrote, oh. uh, and it's written in caveman voice. <laughs> But then oh, it, it, I'm <laughs> too tired right now to read. Yeah, yeah. That it's, book. It's, it's not for, no, it's a, it's brilliant though. It's, I'm sure know, it is, is. Is brilliant, but 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 it does do the same. It does slip its narrative. Uh, I, oh, I can't remember how yeah. it exactly in the last few chapters. I think it becomes more contemporary. I mean, language. I think we're, anyway, we're just, we're just going to say at this point because we need to talk about. Oh yeah, well, well, well so, I'll say the, 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 the person, the, the the narrator is the the shadow. That is yeah. Cut so when Feta was was born, his his mother, mother of um, glory. <laughs> yeah, uh, enacted a ritual where she removed his shadow from his person. And we're told this, it's in the very first. It is literally the first sentence. This is the first sentence. The moment Fetter is born, Mother of Glory pins his shadow to the earth with a large brass nail and tears it from him. This is his first memory, the seed of many hours of therapy to come. It's a it's a brilliant opening. Like you, you are hooked. You're like, oh, okay. And then the fact that he doesn't have a shadow – doesn't seem to have a lot of import. Yes, and that it's, was why it was annoying. Yes, and, and that was something I was going to go, Wait, what was the purpose of yeah, the shadow it's, thing? it's mentioned. It's kind of, well, in the beginning I put it down as it's 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 just one of the things that makes Feta Feta. He has some powers. Um, the removal of the shadow enabled, apparently enabled him to float, so he has to concentrate to keep himself literally grounded um and he can see demons and, and he can see demons and this is this is so this is what this is why the shadow was removed to enable to open these these powers in so okay fine and the consequence of it is another shadow so he has to be a bit careful to make sure people don't notice he doesn't have a shadow um although apparently a lot of people don't notice and i was fine with that i didn't need there to be more shadow and and by by removing the shadow 
um, Chandrasekhar, uh, like it's very clever because you're not focused on it. You're not going, oh, the shadow's hanging around. Oh, this thing, but the shadow keeps get, getting brought up. It's just not there. So you kind of shelve it as it being a mechanism by which Feta gets these powers that he has, which are the real focus yes. of his adventures in the world. But he's smart enough, Chandra Sacred, to remind you every so often. Every so often. Yeah, no shadow. Remember? No shadow. Yeah. Um, and then what What the, this book, the narrator of this book ends up being Feta's shadow who has told this whole, st- whole story. And also because the shadow is uh, disconnected from re- th- the reality that Feta has known up to that point, the shadow can know things that haven't happened yet. The shadow can, you know, see things that Feta doesn't notice. Um, but as I said, I would need to reread it again carefully, but I feel like, or at least, you know, th- those things that occur happen explicitly in the text only after Feta's mother dies. But when you think about it. Which is really clever, when right? You think about, she oh, it, did it, it, this. It, it, it's, but, but when you think, you read that, that bit that you found sluggish which I think you're wrong. but um, <laughs> I probably am. It's probably just how I was reading the book. It, it just is, never seemed to It is told, in, and you do this better than I do, but it is told in third-person omniscient when you read it. It's not third-person because it is, you know, I'll just pick any passage from the first uh, first few pages. While Fetter is busy teaching himself these things, Mother of Glory gradually takes over his higher education. One by one, other tutors fall away. Mother of Glory teaches him the uh, core curriculum but, of classical. But that's something Fetter knows. Uh, no, no, I'm not saying he doesn't know that. I'm just saying that it's not. It, it's a bit distanced from Feta as. Feta's. It's 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 not it's not like complete direct. Correct. But in, it, but until until these things start to get threaded through, that I don't think. And again, I, I wasn't doing a really close reading of it before then. I don't believe there's stuff that is told to the reader that Feta wouldn't know. No, no. To be clear, you are one hundred percent correct, and I didn't and I didn't see it uh, anything more than what it is. But when you go back to the start, when you go you back to the, the start, you note that there is this 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 gap between the narrator and Fetter, not, not in an overt way, just in the fact that it's being told to us. Well, it's like with the Flanagan book, right? It's Anna's point of view, but it's not being told dir- yes. like as a direct representation correct. of Anna in third correct. person. But it, but it is still. Like her, her point of view is the cohesive Correct. point of view of the narration, the the narrative. Correct, uh, co- absolutely. But it, to me, so when he did the and he never and he'll never yeah. see her again thing, I just thought it was the old Stephen King thing that King would do. <laughs> it's all it's the very much a Kingism. Time. I mean, other writers do it too, but it's something King Stephen King loves to do. And well, the, and that's the first one that I just went, oh, shame. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <'cause, laughs> oh, because little stumble, little stumble. Oh, the editors should have picked that up. Because you're an orth- you're a totalitarian when it comes to perspectives. You I'm know, not a totalitarian. You're orth- yes, you would set very very strict rules, and if people broke them, they'd be dead. I'm so, not setting the rules. You are setting the rules by choosing your point of view. Stick to the rules you've chosen. Anywho, and the thing is, he has he fucking has stuck to the rules he's chosen. We just don't know that yet until it gets to the end correct. of the book. Correct. <laughs> well it's, played, it's- sir. Well played. <laughs> Yeah, and look, we have to discuss this. We have to break this spoiler because it is remarkable. And and yeah. all that, all that in a book that is rich with world building in a way yeah. that I don't normally notice. I'm, it's not a thing for me, world, world, world building, but when it's this good and this smart, because he, he's done a really smart thing. He's taken a secondary world, yep. which I'm not going to say what it's based on. I, I mean, I'm not going to make any claims that it's, 
a, a revisionist view of uh, his own culture. I, I don't want to do that. I just did that. So yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> no idea. So let's. Th- it is a secondary world. Okay. Yep. But then he adds to it Kickstarter, emails, social media, and all the contemporary stuff we're used to. And that and should be And by the dis- end of it, I don't know if it is. I mean, it is a secondary world, but I also don't know that it's not our world that hasn't been changed by the, there is his father. Correct. Because there's this Correct. wonderful moment where he's he's on a phone conversation with his mother um, and there's a whole chapter which is essentially just first person from his mother because she's telling him this story. And she even there's even like questions like, what, what did you say? No, never mind that. I'll get to that later. So it's just like it's, it's, a, it's her conversation with him on the phone with his parts excised and it's a, it's a whole chapter if, if I remember and she's telling him th- a very detailed version of a story. That for the he, first time ever. For the he's first never, time yeah. um, of, of what happened with her and his father and before he was born and and the world and there's this point in the story where she says oh and then he just like magically like made this land bridge and caused us all to forget what happened and made this other world and you're like okay (laughs) and like at that I feel like at that point I could have gone oh come on (laughs) but the writing is so powerful it's like cool (laughs) Yeah, she says because you bit don't quite know if it's a metaphor or not, and Feta's not sure if it's a metaphor or not. But no, that's actually what happened. He she changed the world. it with a bit more emotion. Then, oh, he knocked up some mountains. Oh yeah, no, no, because her entire culture was destroyed. Yeah, in a split second. And the book, and I can't remember whether she says it now or whether it's later. The the, the father says it all. It's just discovered. But the 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 conceit of it is that this this man who is Feta's father has worked out a way in concert with these these beings who are referred to as demons throughout the book um, has worked out a way to reshape reality, but it's not actually reshaping the world. It's making another world. And in that world, whatever had happened never happened. Correct. And it's this, it's the multiple universe thing, right? Correct. And so all those other worlds, they're still there in an, as alternate alternative realities. And this is where, and there is seepage, through the bright doors, <laughs> and it's a really—it's—it's it's, it's a lot like what Chuck Wendig did in the book we read last month, except different, except, except completely different, except completely different. Um, <laughs> but what it was—it was really interesting to think about um, because there's a lot in this book about colonialism and cult, like literal colonialism, but also cultural colonialism, and. This is not the first time I've seen this kind of a thing talked about, but it's a really interesting rendering. And this is what fiction can do so beautifully. It can go above the polemic. It's not just a polemic of saying colonialism is bad because here's what it does. It's like it, it is showing you. Yeah, it, yeah it, it very much in a way Richard Flanagan doesn't. Literally. Uh, it's, it's this, a lot more nuanced. These that. actions by the man who is Feta's father have literally robbed people of their culture correct through through literal temporal actions but in the same way that colonialism in the real world robs people of their culture through the removal of language and the removal of custom and the removal of the way things are done and you'll do it our way now because our way is the proper way yeah it's that perfect use of the fantastic and the other thing is the other thing is the genius. The real genius is that. Oh no! Well, you said actually he's the real genius, but this is a secondary, <laughs> a secondary cherry, a cherry on top. He alters the characters' realities and then alters our reality in the last few chapters. How fucking awesome yeah. is that? 
Yeah, your understanding of the world and what we thought was the world is completely wrong because one of the things that happens is most people in an, who've had a reality altered, just they just forget. But yeah. some people, like Fetter and Fetter's mother and, and But also the, other, also the other cults because he does make the point that yep. the, the prophet says that that sort of splintered effects yep. from the So shit there's that some kind of memories from some people, yeah. but it's, it's that gaslighting effect, right? It's like, well, I remember this, don't I? Don't I remember this? Yeah. You don't remember it, but I, I'm, I'm sure I remember that. And and that's what he's doing to the reader, as you say. By the time the 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 final reveal happens, it's like, oh, now I need to rethink everything that's happened. Hang on, wait, what do I, what do I remember? Um, <laughs> it's it's really- amazing, isn't it? And, and, and it's 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 a version of the unreliable narrator that we don't. I've never seen done like this before. And, and it's not really because he's not really unreliable. He's not unreliable because everything. The- the, the just, narrator who you think is a narrator doesn't exist. So that's yes. where the un- unreliability is, is correct because you've made an assumption about what the narrator of this book is, and that assumption is wrong. It's so wrong. I just, <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm in awe of this book. I was in awe of the Flanagan. I said as much, but I'm more into this too because I just, how do you do it, Kirsten? How do writers do this? Do I don't you know do how it? he does this because if you think about it, he's. There's a whole middle section. There's a whole middle section that just should it should be just so dull. Where Fetter is the in prison, prison. the yeah. ca- the Kafka esque section. Correct, <laughs> which he, I can say because I've read Kafka. <laughs> ah, correct, he gets gets stuck in a bureaucracy. It's a cross between Orwell and Kafka, actually. Yeah, he, he's imprisoned for reasons he's not told clearly and he's not sure about and it's well a- he he sort of no he does sort of half know because Maybe, but we're, we're told, told it's a what well it's a white year it's a white it's a it, the, the, he was he was actually warned before he went to his mum's But is he hometown. in prison because he's fedder or is he in prison because he doesn't have ID or is he in prison it's, for it's, another it's because reason? He's got no, it's, it's because he's got no ID but he doesn't know you're right he doesn't know 100% he just, and he's and no one will tell him no one will yeah. tell him <laughs> and then he gets sent to a Prison camp that's yep. almost infinite in its size. <laughs> he, he's given a number which he quickly forget, which forgets. he probably forgets. But that's it's where just it's, a verbally, like it's just verbally delivered to him. Here's your number, four digit number, done. And so he basically journeys through this prison camp, and really, it's just layers of layers. There's the bureaucracy, but then there's layers of different worlds within the prison camp, mimicking the worlds that we know. You know, I mean, it is. This should be dull. This whole section should be shit because then he becomes a religious figure. In amongst yes. all that, how, that's brilliant. How does that work? How did he do that? How did Chandra Sacred do that? Because that's magic and I don't understand. I don't understand. It shouldn't work. Kirsten, it shouldn't work. Well, I mean, possibly it shouldn't work, but um, I think it's it's just a very sophisticated balancing act. And, and I, I – Just call it magic. It is magic. I think it's okay. magic. Okay. All right, it's magic. <laughs> No, no, seriously, that's how I just – it's so clever. It it really is. Can can you hear the excitement in my voice? It is a very cleverly constructed book and, as you said before, the the fact that he can deliver elements that for both of us make us go, oh, hang on, that's that's a mistake. (laughs) And yet it's not enough to ruin our engagement and enjoyment of the book – is that that is really phenomenal? Because the, the because the thing is, when he leaves Laureate, I'm going. Oh, I don't really want him to go traipse through the countryside and meet his mum. A little bit dull. 
you know, you saw your brain thinks that very yep. quickly, you know, because the, because it was really interesting the stuff with the with the, the with the therapy group of all these unchosen people, and there was there was political stuff going on, and it was getting all very authoritarian and and activists and spies, and it was all cool. Yeah. And suddenly, suddenly goes, well, I'm going, I'm going to check. My mum's dying. I've got to go and check on her. You go, oh, really? Do you? And so structurally, you think it's just going to fold, but then he first off, he he actually. It becomes a, a partly a plot to kill his father that if because he, he's got this item. Which I'm, I'm getting into the real plot details. There's a lot of plot in this book. At first, when he gets there, he, he, there's some awesome stuff with, with the death of his mother. And then when he comes back, it's even more interesting than if he had stayed. So it's that's what I, I just found that remarkable that it doesn't flag in that sense. It should, but it doesn't. And then when he finally gets back to Lorette, it's completely changed, and everything we know is different. And it's. Yeah. I think that's what is so clever about it. He <laughs> I don't think I've made any sense last. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that's one of the really clever things, though, and, and a clever author choice um, on the part of Chandra Sekra. In what could have gotten really bogged down back in in Luriat, uh, with the arrival of his, you know, Feta's father and the um, the ramping up of the the revolutionary or or rebellion. That could have gotten really bogged down if Fedor was there and in the middle of it. And yeah. instead, he just takes Fedor away to do other interesting and important things. And when Fedor comes back, all of that is set up. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really clever because as a reader, you just go, sure. Yep, he's been away for a bit. I completely get that, that La- Lorette has changed and this is what it is now. And we didn't have to, as a reader, go through all of that happening uh, with with Feta there, which probably would have added another hundred thousand words to the novel, to be honest. <laughs> um, really, really clever. I thought. So, so you said you said the first bit was sluggish. I wouldn't have cut any of it. So, it took me. I can't say I, I, I didn't zip through this. I didn't swallow this down in three days. This took me nearly a week and a half. So, you took two weeks. The same deal. Yeah, but but it never lost me at any point. So, I was I was happy to pick it up again. You know. Um, and, and just jumping into it, there was no wait. What was because despite how much plot there is, it's so clear, and, and the prose is both beautiful and elegant in, in the way it describes things. We don't do enough in this podcast of quoting chunks of books, so that's my that's our bad. It's your bad mostly. Um, <laughs> that's but, my bad mostly. But, 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 but this this is this is this you this is the this is the product of a seasoned writer who understands how to deliver plot, how to deliver the plot mechanics, and tell the story, and keep the characterization bubbling along. And and he's done a terrific job. Terrific. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I enjoyed this book so much. So let's finish on that note. So I'll, I'll, look, we may we may not have gone into huge detail in the book, but frankly, this is one, and we have spoiled. <laughs> we have spoiled we, we spoiled the whole thing, but um, but there's so many joys in this book. Just read it. Just read it. And we haven't even gone into the really dark stuff that happens in Luriette, which is Yeah, just, well, actually, no, well, know. let's briefly let's briefly do that. Because it may, uh, like, we, we've made it sound like a bit of a romp, and it's not a romp. No, 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 it's, it's, <laughs> no and we should briefly do it. He's, draw, he's drawing on both the author, authoritarianism that we're seeing at the moment, you know, the sort of rise of the fascist authoritarian type populist governments, but also he's, he also draws on COVID and plague mm. and our yes. fear of plague. Yeah. He, he draws on both. And in Luriette, so that, what, what was it's another fascinating aspect is that Luriette, has this sort of social welfare element to it, whereas if you you're in, you come, you get free housing, etc. And actually, money—the only purpose of money is to make your life a bit better. 
But basically everything is given to you at a base level and then everything else. And if you want more, you need to then earn money to do more. Okay? Yep. But other than that, you're good. Except immigrants are treated like shit Uh and, um, and there are pogroms, this, and there are pogrom, and there is this constant uh, buzz of authoritarianism and just basic hatred of the other throughout yep. this whole society. Despite the fact that if you are, if you come into it and you get through the their torturous immigration system, you are given everything. Yeah, straight and that back. that ramps up horrendously when Fetter's father and his entourage actually come into Luria. Correct. So, so that stuff's, again, amazing. I, I think you spoke about the colonialism stuff, which is brilliantly rendered. And then, there, and then there's the whole thing about plague. I mean, what he does is he draws really on our contemporary fears around COVID and does it really, really well. Um, and, this, and this is something that, like, you talk about, like, how you don't understand how he's done things. I don't understand how he manages to bring in really, cont- like, 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 yeah, social media and Kickstarter campaigns and um, yes, there are Kickstarter campaigns in this book into what what feels like a, a fantastical or at least mag- magic infused secondary world where you kind of think, I mean, like, it shouldn't work. <laughs> it shouldn't. Well, work. I would also even argue that this is a m- emerging of science fiction and fantasy as well because a lot of the concepts are SF, but there is something going on magical. Well, there's magic. I mean, there's literal. Magic. It's not correct. It's not science. Correct. It's magic, um, and it, it's just. I mean, unless you want to take it all the way up and say, well, it, it's actually, uh, you know, um, multiple Let's universes, and mm-hmm. this is how this is. When, the mechanisms aren't explained, but there will be a scientific mechanism for how Fetter's father is able to do the stuff he can do. Well, okay, he, but it's that thing, right? Like the 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 more um, the, the more the less understandable science is, the the more indistinguishable it becomes from magic. Yeah. Without upsetting Chuck Wendig again, if he ever listens to the last pod- podcast, the thing we said about that book is that it was overstuffed. It sort of didn't cover less enough for us. Mm. This book is overstuffed as well. But it works. But it works. No no part of reading this book, um, and there's books that I, I have read where you can feel, and maybe it's more of a writer thing than a reader thing, but you can f- you can kind of see the mechanics working. This is why this is happening. So later on, this other thing will happening, and I and none of this reading, the reading experience of this book, I I wasn't thinking about that at all. I was so engaged in the actual story and characters and what was happening. I wasn't I wasn't seeing the mechanics. I think he does an incredible job of hiding the mechanics in a really engaging narrative and really engaging characters and world building. And it is, it was lovely to read this because I, you know, I'm, and I think a lot of writers have the same thing. It, it can become very difficult to just read a book these days for pleasure because you, your, your writer brain is constantly analysing and decoding. Even if you're not doing it consciously, it, it is doing that. Um, I, I, I really did love this book. Re- highly, highly recommend. So um, I think we finished it there. I think that's, we shall. We shall. So next episode, um, which will be October, uh, what we're we're doing something which I think is a little bit different. I don't think we've done much crime on the podcast, no. so we're looking at two crime novels. Uh, the first, well, one is the Broken Shore by Peter Temple, who is an Australian author, which and is the it, beginning, it, which is the first book in a series. What, yeah, and was a Ballarat author who I have <laughs> did not read, have not read before, but always meant to. So I'm correcting that. And the second is Slow Horses by Mick Heron, which I also believe is the first of a series, although now there is a prequel in that series. There may be. And 
There's the show, uh, Slough House, or whatever it's called. Well, maybe it's actually called Slough, Slough it's Horses. Slow, it's called Slough Horses. Slough Horses on, uh, yep. on Apple, which I haven't watched. No, Jason's watched it and he adored it. And it was one of those ones I, I thought I should go and watch. And I'm glad I didn't yet. All, all my, all my, all my um, non-genre literary friends just talk about this series all the time. The books are catnip to them. They, they, it, is, it is, yeah, it's this, – look, the hype is huge. And Peter Temple, someone who I've wanted to read for a long time, so thank you for choosing that. So that will be October, The Broken Shore by Peter Temple and Slow Horses by Mick Heron. So read along um, to avoid spoilers, or if you don't care about spoilers, we'll talk to you Spoiler next for time. you, yeah. We will totally spoil them both, <laughs> I'm sure, because they're crime novels. I don't know how you can talk about a crime novel without spoiling it. So you can send feedback by commenting at the website, which is writerandcritic.podbean.com. You can send an email to writerandcritic at gmail.com. And, of course, if you can, you can sponsor us on Patreon and leave a comment over there. And thank you to all the patrons who are still sponsoring us. It does help us uh, with subscriptions and other costs that we, we have, which aren't much, but thank you very much. We do appreciate it. Thank you so much, all of you. Thank I haven't you. even gotten to see your face in the last 10 minutes because what, really? think, yeah, Riverside just cancelled the video. I think yeah. it was having some trouble with the the thing, so it just said no video for Well, you. I grew six horns. I won't say where. Fun. So. Fun. Bye. Bye, Ian. Bye. My cat's motto is, why walk when you can run, why run when you can parkour? <laughs>